He walks in the bar and takes the video. He calls me back like he'd seen Bigfoot, you know. He's, oh my God, <laughs> calm down, Pierce. Tell me what you're looking at. You know, a 71 Stingray with 40 miles on it. You know, okay. A 63 Cadillac with 20,000 miles on it. Okay. And we start going through it. I'm like, okay, do you have a tent in your car? No. Okay, well, send whoever's with you to go get one because you are not allowed to leave the premises until we have the titles, the keys, and they have the money in the bank. You now live there. Call your wife and tell her whatever your plans are, cancel. What's up, everyone? This is Car Dealership Guy. You're listening to the Car Dealership Guy podcast, which is my effort to give you access to the most unbiased and transparent insights into the car market. Let's get into today's episode. John Clay Wolf is founder and president at Give Me The VIN, one of the largest used car wholesalers in the country. In this conversation, we discussed auctioning 1,500 used cars every single week, setting the world record for most cars sold in a single day, stumbling upon a secret $1 million classic car collection, the impact of UAW strikes on the car industry, bankruptcy risks for car manufacturers, and much more. Fun fact, John's a man of many talents and also hosts a popular weekly radio show. I think you'll love this episode. All right, let's get into it. John Clay Wolf on the CDG podcast. John, welcome. Hi, welcome. I, I don't know where to begin, so we'll kind of we'll, we'll start with some background here. But you know, media, vehicle wholesaling. I read you hold the world record for selling fifteen hundred cars per day, which I found fascinating. Selling fifty thousand cars per year, so you keep busy. G- give us your background. How'd you get started? I was a salesman at a Ford dealership when I was 18 between high school and college. I was going to play football at SMU. In that summer, I needed a gig. So I went to work at Hillard Ford as a salesman. And I noticed the wholesaler was buying the trade-ins. And that wholesaler was a friend of my brother's. And I went to his house with him one day and he was 25 years old and lived in a mansion. Like, wow, these guys must make money. That's how I got in. How have you been able to, you know, build this conglomerate in automotive, which we'll discuss, but also host a super popular radio show, which you know, I'd love for you to tell the audience about as well. Here's the deal. Grew up a rich kid. Granddad had a big construction company. I'm supposed to run it. Dad goes broke. Now I'm broke. I want that life back. So all of these results is, did I, do I have talent? Absolutely. I'm sure I do in some form, but there's a lot of drive there. And I just kept plugging, you know, if I get into something, I need to cross a river. I figure out how to build that bridge. Do I have talent to build that bridge? I don't know, but I just do it. And when I'm, when I'm 19 at SMU, after I got there, you know, I played football for a couple of, or for a year and a half. And I quit to open a bar in a restaurant over at TCU. And then we grew and grew and got into concert promotion. At the time, Dave Matthews band, Fish. Better Than Ezra, Soul Hat, Tripping Daisy, da-da-da-da-da. We were running all these bands through a venue, and they've got record deals. And so I became their promoter outside because they outgrew our room. And so there's part of that media and entertainment. You know, during the, back in the college bar days, I'd do stand-up on the stage to keep the warm-up a band or in-between acts. And, and that's where the radio personality comes from. Tell, tell me more about your, your radio show. How did that actually get started, right? Like Very simple. You're, you're... Motocross wreck, 32 years old. I owned Wolf Ford, Wolf Dodge Chrysler Jeep, and Wolf Chevrolet. I was the youngest multi-franchise big three dealer principal in their history that was not a 
hand-me-down, an inheritor. Mm-hmm. There's no daddy in the door. No, a PhD. Right. Papa has a dealership. So I had all three brands. <laughs> I was approved with all three brands when I was 30 years old or 29 years old. I'm 32 years old. I'm racing motocross like a dumb ass, and I wreck. I break my back. Can't walk. I'm laying there on the ground. The medics are like, move your feet, move your feet. I'm like, if you'll just take my boots off, I'll show you I can move my feet. They said, we cut your boots off about five minutes ago. Haul me in the meat wagon to the hospital. They take the x-rays, say, do you want to go to Wichita Falls, Texas, or Oklahoma City? In the helicopter, they're on their way. I said, neither. They will kill me. Take me home to Fort Worth. If we got a helicopter, spinal cords cut, paralyzed waist down, never going to walk again. In the hospital and rehab for six months. And I was looted. My controller, her boyfriend, she's married, he's married, come to find out. He owns three dealerships. She's stealing from my dealerships to keep him from bankruptcy. So when I, you know, and my wife leaves me when I'm in the hospital. So I'm, I'm broke. I'm actually upside down. I can't walk. My mom died during that time. My wife leaves. So it's, a, it's I'm just having a bad run. That's what we call a bad run. And I'm listening to Howard Stern's buildup on Sirius and XM. And because he was leaving terrestrial at the time. Guy gets paid $90 million to leave. And I'm like, I could do that. So is that dumb? I can do that. Who the hell makes me think I can do that? I've never done radio. I've never been an intern. I've never run a board. So the advertising agency comes by the dealership. They want me to sign my annual agreement, Cumulus, and for advertising, it's 250 grand or whatever for that year. In Wichita Falls, I said, I'll do it, but I, I want a radio show. No, you know, so long story short, after that negotiation, I did sign the agreement. They did give me a radio show from nine to 10 on uh, their country station. I got on the air and started bidding cars online and talk, comparing women's to wheels and hot rods. And it was, that was 18 years ago. And it, everything I've got today revolved around that. It, it, it all. What, what do you mean by that? What, what do you mean everything you have today? Knighted the whole mechanism for all of it. I mean, yes, I was already a grade A wholesaler. I've been wholesaling since I was, you know, a young age, and and I was one of the larger ones in the country. I'd made enough money wholesaling to buy those dealerships. You know, I was a self-made millionaire. I was twenty-six years old, but bidding the cars on the radio opened just opened more doors. It, and then I started working on my radio personality. A guy calls me, says, "You're really good on the air. You ought to be on my station." I did a deal with him. We built a radio studio in the car dealership at the Ford store. And I did I did a show called The Daily Nooner. And I was going 12 to 1 that had nothing to do with cars. And really, I was just trying to get my chops down and figure out if I could beat Rush Limbaugh in the ratings in that small market we're in. I was like, if I can beat Rush Limbaugh in these ratings, in this small market, then I need to do this for a living. I'm, I'm as good as I think I might be. Not as a th- not as I'm as good as I think I am, as good as I think I might be. Because you've got to set your expectations right. And when you get into something, you're not the best at it at all. Do you know roughly like how the show has impacted your your wholesaling business, your vehicle wholesaling business like, I mean, in terms it, of- it, it, it made me, in not all over the country, but like especially in Texas, a pseudo household name. So that, you know, if people know you, then, and they trust you and they like you, they're more likely to do business with you. So yeah, absolutely that helped. Tell me about actually, you know, buying cars sight unseen on the show. So you you pioneered this like, they were, like I said, buying cars sight unseen on a radio show. What, what was that like? Do you still do this? What's it like? Tell me about that. 
you know, any wholesaler watching this knows that we've been doing that forever. Guys were buying cars over payphones with beeper hits, you know, in the 80s. So people, what I noticed is people that were riding with me in, you know, 96 is about when I started wholesaling. And I was like, you know, 98 Tahoe, how many miles? Yeah, I'll give 23 grand. And they would look at you like, did you just buy that? And that freaked them out. Like, yeah, that's what we do. It sounds very weird to a layman, but but for us, it's what we do. So I was like, I need to put this on the on the air, and um, that was my hook. Now it's everywhere. You know, it, it's not it's not unique anymore. But the radio piece came from being paralyzed. I was in a wheelchair, and I radio is not video, and they won't know I'm crippled in on the air. And it was a way that I could get my rocks off and run again on radio. Tell us, tell us about your business. Give me the VIN. Like, I want to dive deeper into this. You know, just for anyone that doesn't know, what do you actually do? What's the business model? We buy cars from dealers, individuals all over the country, and we resell them to dealers in the auction. Give me some, I, I'm just, I'm, some tactics just so we can kind of align here. How many cars do you sell per week? First of all, let's just start there. Well, we did 53,000 cars last year. So you can do the math on that. And is all, and are all these cars sold in Dallas? 97% of them. 90, 95% of them. I don't know exactly what, but a lot of them. Mm-hmm. What about your team, right? Like how have you built your team? Has it just been all organic over the years, you know, accumulating great people or how, what's that been like? Oh, I accumulated a bunch of terrible people and then I've got to get rid of them. So I have to sift through bad people to find the good ones and a lot of times the ones that i think are bad are the good ones and the ones i think are good are the bad ones so how big is your buying team today buying team we've got probably 80 there and 30 there it's called 110 about 110 but really what is the buying team right is it the guy that makes the decision to say yes or no and then that trips a trigger for the title department and then that trips a trigger for the accounting department and then that trips a trigger for the transportation department and then that trips a trigger for the recon department and then the lane numbering department and then the arbitration department to keep the deal together so That's- so you're saying it's all it's all the buying team oh god you know these guys they get their egos so big they don't realize we have an absolute huge assembly line behind them that so we've got doctors and we've got but the nurses the doctors can't do it without the nurses Who's the process whiz behind your organization? Is it you? Absolutely. And I'm not trying, whiz is a strong word, but but yeah, I'm I'm the architect all the way. Got it. So you're very process driven. You're the engineer. Sure. I, I'm more that than I am a car dealer now. See, I, I was, you know, Joe Bob, the car dealer. I, I was, you know, hundred cars a week, 200 cars a week. And now, I, now I'm none. Yeah. And now I'm people and processes. All right, so I got a couple more questions on the tactics. Where do you where do you source your cars? Where do you where do you find you know a thousand to fifteen hundred cars a week? Where do you find that? Sunbelt. Be more specific. I mean, it, it, give us your secrets. You know, no, of course, I <laughs> but the consumer cars is what is a very 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 slow burn, and that is what makes our business very very special. And so they come from all over, mainly it's Sunbelt areas. We've tried the Northeast, we've tried Detroit, we've tried Chicago, and we've not been very successful. Yeah. I mean, everyone wants the consumer cars, right? Those are the unique SKUs that you just can't get in mass at auction, right? Typically. It's so funny to hear us talk about this now because, because 20 years ago, 
I was I would say these things and people look at me sideways. I mean, but 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 look, there's like a the, the inventory situation that is also a bit different. You know, like you know, ten years ago, you were going to Mannheim and you were just standing in some random some random off lease lane and buying these things way below book value in certain cases. It feels like it was a lot less efficient. And given the supply constraints, the rise of you know Carvana. You know, obviously CarMax and all these other companies, just it feels like things got like hyper efficient almost to certain in, in the used car space. How do you feel about that? So when I got in this deal in, I don't know, say 95, all the old car dogs told me I missed the good days. I missed the big time. This is terrible now. There's too much competition. This and I'm going back 95. So, so do the math. 30 years ago, roughly. And we, we keep doing better than we've ever done. When in 96, I used to take my laptop and download MMR, it downloaded once a week at manheim.com. The The user interface for MMR is the same then in 96 as it is now. They haven't changed it much, but I would go to auctions and I would have a laptop with me and I was using MMR, which was a week's worth of data polls, but it, and people would ridicule me. I used to go to CarMax and I'd take those VIN numbers in the night before and I'd work all my list out. So I was I was doing that before most people did. So I was young enough to be tech savvy. And I was old enough to learn from the old dogs. So I had a little bit of both in me. All right. So something very interesting happened to you recently. I read about this, right? You discovered, and we're gonna I wanna know how you discovered it, but you discovered a barn, or you call it the barn find. You acquired uh, a barn full of classic vehicles. Who, what, where, when, why? Like Give, give us the background story here. What happened? Did you watch that video we put out the other day? I did not. I want you to throw the link up because I want people to see this because I took a lot of time to make it. But it tells the story. John Pierce found the barn find. John Wolf did not. Who's John Pierce? John Pierce is one of my buyers and he's from Atlanta. John Pierce was one of Holland's head buyers for a long time. He and Holland's head got a little sideways over, guess what? A classic car. About five years ago, the first Lamborghini I ever sold was Bob Holland's head that I sold in Dallas for Bob but and John, because John was one of Bob's buyers. John rides dirt bikes. I ride dirt bikes. John came here a while back, and we really hit it off well. When he left Bob about four years ago or three years ago, he called me, oh, I don't know, a couple of years ago, about a year and a half ago, and now he's buying for us. But Chad, who you know Chad Cunningham buys a short mile Porsche from a dealer in Alabama as a wholesale trade. That dealer bought it from John Pierce. John Pierce bought it from a widow. So I didn't know Pierce was on the front end of this deal. It was just another Chad car. It was great. Short miles. Everything was great. We sell it at the auction and we sell it to a guy. I'm not going to say his name because we get along now. We didn't at the time. He's hot. He's a heavy arbitrator. A heavy arbitrator is a guy that loves to buy cars and then starts whining about arb items to back them up just because they know they can get them a little bit cheaper. And so when I saw that this fellow bought this 600 mile 96 C4S with a stick, 600 miles, remember that. I was like, this is bad. This is bad that this guy bought this car because he's, he's, he's an arbor. That's his game. And I, told, I called the auction immediately and I said, hey, call this guy. I've got a backup bidder on this car. Knock the fella out that bought it. Tell him he's got to buy it red light if he wants it. Because I don't want to send it all the way to Florida and then get it back. Play the game. 
And just for anyone that's, and yeah, anyone that's listening, red light just means it's as is. You're buying that car. There's no guarantee, meaning you bought it, you own it. Right. Can't come, you can't come back and cry for a couple more dollars or pennies. Yeah. Right. This car had not been started in years. It's 600 mile 96 Porsche. We believed it to be dry. I mean, it's a museum car. It's never going to go anywhere, right? Last of the Mohicans, last of the air cools. And he sent a mechanic over there. They turned the engine over and realized it, was, it wasn't it was seized. Everything was good. They said, great. They kept it. It gets down there and he starts bitching. I'm like, dude, we're not going to do this. And then we had some other cars that were in play. This is a whole other topic, but in case anybody is not aware, there's a serious problem with Lamborghinis and mileage rollbacks. But we, we'd had a couple of Lamborghinis that had been tampered with. And we bought some cars from him. Anyway, the, the, there, there, was, there was a problem there, and, and we fixed the problem. But in the middle of the problem, I bought the Porsche back. So remember, we bought this Porsche, and this is something that the video doesn't say. I didn't say it intentionally because I wanted people to say, well, how did you get this Porsche back? Because here's, here, here's the chain of events. We sell the car to dealer. We buy the car back from dealer. And then I've got it in my barn. It must have been one of those karma deals because two days later, phone rings. Pierce says, hey, she's got another one. I'm like, what? 97 C5, 100 miles. Mm, and, now, and now you're noticing a trend. Right. There was like at least 18 months that have passed. I'm like, okay, so she didn't just pop this. She didn't buy this car this week, right? So I'm like, Pierce, what else does homegirl have? What else is Melba Toast packing? You smell, you smell the blood in the water. And this is where I'm good with these buyers is I'm, I'm, I'm the guy in the corner coaching the fighters now. Let's get her on the phone. Real nice. We've got a soft server and she won't come off of it and tell us what she's got, but she says, I've got a lot more, but I can't tell you, but you, you handled that Porsche transaction so well, you handled that. Oh, so she, so she tested you with one. <laughs> yeah. And you handled this current Corvette transaction so well, I will call y'all when it's time. Pierce calls me, I don't know, two weeks ago and said, Hey, it's time. I'm going over there to look. I said, get the video camera and send it to me. He walks in the bar and takes the video. He calls me back like he'd seen Bigfoot, you know. He's, oh my God, <laughs> calm down, Pierce. Tell me what you're looking at. You know, a 71 Stingray with 40 miles on it. You know, okay, a 63 Cadillac with 20,000 miles on it. Okay. And we start going through it. I'm like, okay, do you have a tent in your car? No. Okay, well, send whoever's with you to go get one because you are not allowed to leave the premises until we have the titles, the keys, and they have the money in the bank. You now live there. Call your wife and tell her whatever your plans are, cancel. I understand, man. I understand. Wolf, you're crazy. No, I'm serious. <laughs> so we worked together and the brother-in-law came over and we got all this done and we made a big offer and he bumped us 37500 and we did that. I didn't tell anybody in, you know, remember all the chain of people I was explaining earlier? So this is going on for a week. No, three days, four days. I didn't tell anybody until late Sunday night in the company that we were fixing a wire, this big wire over. And they're like, well, what about a process? You got to validate the titles. You got to do this. You got to do that. I said, I understand, but we're going to break a lot of rules on this one. I didn't tell anybody in the company because if I'd have told anybody, they would have told somebody and that somebody might've told somebody. And all of a sudden I look up at this bar in Alabama and I've got people to talk. Loose to. slips, sink ships. Right. 
So, so we got the titles. So I, so I called the girls Sunday night. I said, we've got to work, but we're watching the football game. I said, do this while you watch the football game. Is this is serious. This is a once in a lifetime deal. I've got Bigfoot in the scopes. So we validated the titles. We ran the reports. We got it all done. We got the wire sent off and it was sitting there in their account by 9.03 on the East Coast time, wait, or 10.03. And we had the transports already lined up. It just, it was a machine. And so a lot of questions. Number one is what was the wire? How much did you pay for all these? More or less, roughly. Million bucks. Is over a million, a million bucks, yeah. How do you price these things, right? Like, not, there's no there's no market for the. I mean, meaning there's, you know, I, probably one. I yeah. understand. Oh, you you understand. Yeah. I understand. And I, and I say. Saying. I want. I know. And I, say, and, and, I say this, and I say this for the audience as well. But like, how do you price these things? How do you know what they're worth? Here's what we did. I looked at the list. I took all of the new cars. I wrote them. I estimated them off of my gut real quick. And in my experience, I wrote down one big number. I sent it to Pierce. He was working on the used ones. And he called me back. How'd you number them cars so fast? I said, I don't know. I must be good. He said, you're real good because you're right on. And I've been working on this for hours or for days. I said, well, go with that then. Because we both said the same thing. And then he was numbering the used ones. And then we talked. And uh, I said, tell him this number. And he said, that's funny that you on the big number. And he said, it's funny you said that because I already told him that number. And they came back and said they need 37500 more. I said, you know, obviously we're going to do that. I don't know what they're worth. He doesn't know what they're worth. We just think we're close. L- let me ask you this question, though. Right? You mentioned earlier that, you know, you're, you're, you're an architect. You're a business first type of guy. Is, is this deal actually financially worth it for you? Or is this more of a, like a marketing play? Or are you just scratching an itch? You just like love this shit. You're like, I love it. Let me just buy these. All of the above. All the above. Yeah. So I, I built this studio at my ranch because I wanted to move the radio show and, and get a higher grade of TV production out here. And the vision was to start a new YouTube channel TV show called GMTV Garage and start playing with the classics. So I over-decorated it and I, you know, I, I built a set and I was buying some classic cars from other auctions just to get some fill in here. So all of a sudden... It's, it's crazy. It's like building the ark and all the animals showed up. I mean, now we're full. So, you know, Pierce wants to sell them and I don't want to sell them yet. He's cool. Oh, I was just assuming that you're going to sell them, but you just completely surprised me. So you're going to, you might keep these. Absolutely. Well, hopefully I get an invite to come see these things because the pictures, I don't think they do it injustice, but it looks great. So it's yeah. really, the, the really video impressive. Really, really, really lays all this up. So, and Pierce found him. I said, Get your wife, if you don't know anybody, find a videographer in Birmingham, meet you over at the barn and video this whole thing. It's like, you know, uncovering a tomb and they did a great job. So we have all the video from the load in, we have all the video from the, I mean, the load out and the video from the load in. We have the widow interview, we have the brother-in-law interview, you know, it's a mess, but it's hard to move a bunch of cars that don't run. You have to put them all in rollers and use winches and stuff like that. Now, and they answered this question to me, did they not shop your price? Did they just accept it, you know, other than the $37,000 bump? They were just, okay. I mean, what was that like? The neat thing that, you know, we'd already been through two negotiations with them on the Porsche and the vet. So we kind of had a feel for their price point and their price point was top of the market. It was not free, right? Because that vet, we had to, the 97 vet, we had to bump four times to get it done. And we weren't bidding against anyone. So- I was like, okay, they're not stupid. They're not going to let us steal them. And we need to hit them hard enough to 
get something wrapped up quick. So we, we, we hit them with a, with a buckshot. We didn't hit them with pepper. Get control of the assets. Ask questions later if you know what you're doing. If you don't know what you're doing, you'll quickly learn what you're doing by getting your ass kicked. The best way to make money in the car business is to lose. That's the only way to do it. People want to come. How do you do it? How do you do it? How do you do it? There's no easy way. You, you go in there and you get, you get the hell kicked out of you. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that you don't ever buy Ford Taurus or Ford Windstar. I'm going way back. But I mean, you get into enough of it. If you're buying commodities that are so easily Camrys, rentals, right? They're everywhere. Everybody knows what they're worth. There's no money in the wholesale side to be made in it at all or retail because there's every, everybody knows what they're worth. Well, I think what's neat is, you know, accumulating that experience and, you know, storing in the back of your head. Like I, I, I have the same feeling you take me, you know, I'm at an auction or I see a car, you know, I, if, if it's a car that I've experienced with, which, you know, most of the under $30,000 cars, that was the market, you know, that we've always served you right away. Like, oh yeah, that's, you know, the Ford Expedition, the Honda Odyssey transmission, the this, the that you just learn, you know, you get used to it. And you make a ton of mistakes along the way, so. Sure. Yeah, but, it, you know, one key denominator, core common denominator in a good wholesale buyer is photographic memory. And everybody I know in this space that is an A player has a photographic memory. And I can still tell you oddly transactions and miles and money of cars from 30 years ago. I don't mean to, I don't want to, but that's all in my mental Rolodex. So when you're going through MMR and you're looking at NAD and you're looking at all this in this... All those old transactions in that bucket, in that silo of that car. When I say that silo, you know, Camaros, right? Which Camaros? There's two kinds of Camaros. There's eight-cylinder Camaros and six-cylinder Camaros. They're not the same Camaros. They're not even in the same category. So you have Mustang GTs, eight-cylinders, six-cylinders, right? You have, you know, the same with sticks and manuals. So, so you categorize these things and you have all this data in your head from gazillions of transactions to, to look at the auction results and the bookhouse and in the desirability factors to make these judgments off of. Speaking of acquisitions and just general supply, I want to talk about the strikes and, you know, there's a ton going on here. I get asked about this every single day. What is, before we get into the nitty gritty, what's your general take on what's happening? Like what's your general perspective on the strikes, how it's going to impact the economy, the car market? Go. The UA, the, the dealers got four years worth of earnings. The factory got four years worth of earnings. Everybody in the business got four years worth of earnings in one year during COVID. The workers did not get that. They're pissed. They saw the results. Everybody starts bragging about their big years. I mean, look at Auto Nations. Look at Hendrix. Look at everybody making too much money. We made too much money. Everybody made too much money. The, the workers didn't get it. So they want revenge. And that's what started this. And that's why they're asking for so much. And I was like, man, just pay these guys a big lump and settle this up because what they're asking for is unreasonable. It will wind up putting, if they conceded, if the factories conceded right now at these, at these demands, they, they'd be out of business in five years. They can't afford it. I was told that, you know, 401k and insurance, all the things on the average UAW worker is $140,000 a year is what it costs the manufacturers. And what they're asking for will cost them 400000 It won't work. You said a hundred to four hundred thousand. One hundred and forty to three hundred and ninety. That's the difference because the thirty-two hour work week. Understand this: the thirty-two hour work week is not a thirty-two hour work week. They want they want to be capped at thirty-two hours, so when they can go to overtime at thirty-three. So now they get time and a half. It, 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 they're they're gonna 
doing the math on this, and I was told this by a pretty good Ford insider, that it's just economically unfeasible. So they have, what I was told is they have five weeks, I'm talking about UAW, worth of money in their till to pay their workers $500 a week during the strike time. And then they're out. The manufacturers have more than that, so they can wait them out. They're going to win. So if we go, okay, okay, draw, shoot, here we go, she's going to shut down and the manufacturer is going to wait them out. So what's the end game? You think that's what happens? You think the manufacturer is going to wait them out? I think that's what's happening right now. Okay, we're going to shut your parts off. And that was a smart move and that's what they were doing. Why was that a smart move? It puts pressure on them from the public. It puts pressure on them from the dealer body. It puts pressure on them from every aspect because if if the public can't get their car fixed, their new car fixed, the warranties can't get parts. The parts are, are th- now you can't service the car you sold. We keep talking about the cars that aren't going to get built, what it's going to do to the ecosystem. What about all the customers that can't get parts and can't keep their cars running, their new cars? There's a problem. Shutting down the PDCs, the parts distribution centers, the parts are in the warehouse, but there's nobody to reload the trucks. That 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 is that is genius on the UAW's part. That's nuclear. That's mean. That's chemical warfare. But that said, you still think that the manufacturers are going to wait them out? They have no choice because if they concede, they're going to go broke. They can't afford it. They're going to have to raise the prices on the cars. What do you do if you're the CEO of all three of those OEMs? How do you handle this right now? What I do. I, and this might be unfeasible because I can't under, I, I I can't get my brain around that role because I've never been there. But the redneck in me says, put a we're hiring ad out and tell everybody they're fired. Start over because this is going to cost them that much anyway. There's no They have decided to go to war. Kim Jong-un is going to fire nuclear weapons. What are we going to do? This is real. So if we concede, we give up all of our land. I mean, just... Do y'all want to buy the manufacturers? What do you want to do? I mean, I'm talking about the UAW. They're attacking. You don't think it's feasible to, like what you said, propose like a lump sum payment? I I, I was talking to this insider guy and I, I gave him my theory. He said, we already tried that. We're ahead of you, boss. We already tried that. They didn't go for it. Given, I mean, there's like a reversion to the mean here with respect to earnings and whatnot, slowly but surely, it, it sort of makes more sense to, you know, throw a bonus there, there should still be you know an increase but maybe you know a bigger bonus to account for the earnings in the past couple of years you also have got to remember they're on a profit share so they did get they did get to feel the rise of the lift but it, the the economics of it do not make sense so it's it's kind of terroristic man i mean i'm not trying to call the uaw a terrorist but this is it's pretty wild. We've got her. We, we, we've got them by the head. We're going to send you a finger. We're going to send you an ear. That's what they're doing. We're going to shut this line down. We're going to shut that line down. Now they cut a knee off and they sit with this part saying, I mean, so what happens? I do not know. Either everybody comes to their senses and they make a negotiation that makes economic sense, or they literally go into meltdown mode and it's a nuclear war and it turns into a wait out in the manufacturers will lose a gazillion dollars, but they will win this negotiation. Because really what they're fighting for is their companies at this point. Do you think bankruptcy is a real risk here? If they, if, they, if, if they sign up for what is being offered, bankruptcy is an absolute risk because they can't afford to do it because they would have to charge so much for the cars that we can't afford to buy. And especially you, you roll 8% into it and it just whacks it all out. They're already too high. 
you know, look at these Corvette. I've got a 77, a, an 88 anniversary Corvette out there with 19 miles and a window sticker. And it, the sticker on it's $32,000. That car today would be, you know, $97,000. And that's from 88. So if, if they had to rise, raise the prices on cars another 20%, it just won't work. I'm sure there's a lot of things I'm saying here that I don't know. You know, you don't know, I don't know. We're not inside, inside. I don't know the math, but I know the realistic feasibility of what's being proposed here and it will not work. How do you think it's going to impact a used business, your business? Or better question, are you seeing are you seeing an impact already? We saw the impact a month ago on the on the speculation of this occurring. So the 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 core heart of a car dealer is a gambler. And they started gambling immediately. And so that price started coming back up. You know, it went down May 15th, just as I forecasted, the slip started. And then it, it began back. We had a good August on speculation. So we actually slipped a little bit and pressed too hard buying on chasing the speculation. In the past two weeks have not been good in the market. Now that the strike is actually live and active, the lift has stopped. So, so when we go into real strike mode, the supply really stops. The cars will start increasing. The 8% interest is going, 8% is for the good credit. 14 is for the regular. That's going to really limit this. So the COVID high that we saw will not reoccur. It just can't. They can't afford it, right? Are we going to see a lift in prices? Absolutely. Well, why, why do you think the lift has stopped though? Do you think that's driven by like interest rates right now? Why do you think that stopped last two weeks? It, it, the stop gaps interest rates. And I think the uh, overall disposable income is lower today than it was, you know, 20 months ago when all this, when all this price. Un undoubtedly. Yeah. I actually just posted about this. I think Bloomberg put out a pretty good chart about, you know, only the, the richest 20%, top 20% of the country still have excess savings from the pandemic. Guess what's still overselling in the auction lanes? Big cars. Who's buying them? Those guys. You know, I mean, we sell $800,000 cars, SVJs. We sell $200,000. Our, our average cost of car is $33,000, right? $34,000. And there's a lot of cheap cars in that mix. So, but it, you would think that these real heavy cars had, had slipped off harder. They did about a year ago, but no, they're, they're still trading pretty, pretty good. I'm very surprised that the heavies have held their value. Yeah, I just, I just had... I just had Jason Putnam from Tactical Fleet on the podcast last week, and he said the same thing. He said, you know, business is down relatively to the last two years, but it's pretty steady. So he seemed pretty optimistic overall. It's sad. I don't like it. Here's what I've learned over the years. The harder you party and the drunker you get, the worse the hangover is going to be. And I keep waiting for the hangover. We've had some hangover days, you know, months during this, this rise and fall, but but right about the time where it's really starting to hurt, then you get some hair of the dog that bit you and you get rolling again. And th there's definitely an adjustment. It, it, the, the market's trying to adjust right now. The, the strike is what's keeping it from coming down. Definitely an inflationary force. On the consumer side, as you as being, you know, such a close, uh, an insider and seeing this, you know, on a daily basis, what would you say if you were like giving advice right now to your you know, best friend? Like, what would you tell them right now to buy? Like, what are you seeing as like the sweetest deals on the market, relatively speaking? Nissan's. They're good. They're pretty. You can buy them with a discount. You can get incentivized rates with them. Go get a new Nissan. What do I get my kid? Nissan. Go get it right now. 
why 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 are you saying you can buy them at a discount right now in the use in the used market? What's happening? I'm not used. I'm talking about new. And they, and that's what I said. You, you said my friends when they asked me what to do. Hey, I'm looking for a good used car for my daughter. Go buy a new Nissan. That's that's my suggestion. Why though? Why do you love Nissan so much? Because the price on this Nissan new versus the price on that Toyota or GM used is so close that you get a new car with new car warranty. When the adjustment sets in, you're going to be better off. Back, he's going to be better in the new car at, at a sticker or a little back, back a sticker rate. The used cars are still too high. So back to the the wholesaling and just general, just general supply and demand. I mean, how are you preparing? internally are you preparing are you just whatever happens happens i mean what are you thinking for the next the coming like three to six months how do you think about that it all depends on you know we have to watch the strike very closely if it goes into full lockdown then we're going to have a good run but the quality is suffering right i mean there's no question that the cars are getting worse that are available in the in the resale market we we have a meeting every thursday morning after the auction we go through the recaps because we have seven lanes six in dallas and one in la and they all run set and and since we sell nearly 100% every week, win, lose, or draw, we feel those tides changing more than other people. When you look at a, a wholesale group, a lane that has a lot of no sales in it, then it's not a good group to look at. You're counting winners, right? The losers are more important than the winners to me. It's our squawk box. And we have everybody call in and we, we talk about what's hot, what's not, what's happening. And we change that guidance weekly. So... Right now, what was our what was our opinion this last Thursday? The market was flat compared to the previous week, and it was down compared to two weeks ago or three weeks ago, for sure. And we need to be careful because if if there's an announcement that the strike is settled and all is good in La La Land in Detroit, then you're going to see this car market adjust quickly. Really. That's my opinion. Trying to do it right now. It's trying to do it right now, but the speculators won't let it happen. What do you think happens? If the strike is settled, what do you think happens in the used market? I think we have a really bad day. So what will happen when the market just our volume will go down. You can tell what's happening with the market. If we have 1,700 cars at the auction, it's game on. If we have 800 cars at the auction, it's game off. We pull back. We press when it's time to press. We pull back when it's time to pull back you know and we pulled way the hell back in july because the market was falling pretty hard yeah i think there was one of the biggest weekly falls in july or maybe it was like the first week of august it was right around there but then it flipped yep on the news the news the news the news and right now is the fall and seasonally we should be hitting the adjustment right now and we are in some categories but there's some it's just a supply driven thing and you can look at the different silos. So heavy-duty trucks are the next to strike if they didn't on Friday. I've not checked yet. That's what the Ford guy told me. So you're going to see the next to new diesel trucks pop back up. It's just all commodities. The whole thing is just commodities. It's all math. And the math is run by desirability. You know, just zooming out before we wrap up, I mean, I want to hear your take on just the macro. You know, I, ha I had a, a great conversation with Hollinshead recently about his take on the future of wholesaling. What's your take? Where do you think wholesaling looks like vehicle wholesaling five years? The industry has changed a lot. There's a lot more tech at play right now. What do you think happens here? What I've noticed happening is that all the guys that watch this, they're inspired and they want to do what I do. And I meet a lot of them. They're going to have trouble because 
the trade that you learn, those fundamentals of going to the dealership and buying the trade-ins and taking a guy out and romancing him and building these accounts and actually getting flow from the dealership trade-ins, that's kind of gone. And without the consumer piece, give me the VIN would not be around. So that that farming that I did on the consumer piece starting, you know, almost 20 years ago is really my special sauce. And if I had to start it today, I don't think I would be able to do it because Carvana took my process and my pitch to the public and they broadbanded it. Car CarMax was already doing it, but not like Carvana. Did. The reason Carvana can't make any money is because they spend so much money selling my pitch to the public. But what did they do when they did that? They validated my pitch. So what we used to tell the customers all the time, we'd make all these deals and they would be like, okay, so let me get this straight. I go to your website, I put in a VIN number and then poof, magically a guy's going to show up at my doorstep with a $28,000 check. They didn't believe it's true. It can't be true. So it's not. And Carvana just pounded that message in and then it became true. So then COVID happened. CarMax, number one. We were number two. Carvan is number three. They spend a billion dollars in marketing. They pass us big, right? I didn't spend that money like they did because I know you can't outrun the amount of money that they're spending. And I wasn't wanting to take on venture capital. I just didn't. I, I don't want to go into debt. I've been broke. It sucks, you know? So, but then all this competition waved in, but they didn't have the core competencies that we have in the wholesale world. They don't, they don't understand that little stuff. And like a lot of stuff that you heard from Holland's head, that, that shake and bake kind of stuff. We're savvier traders than any of them, really. You know, I say that CarMax is pretty damn good. They're the best. We could, I'm the biggest. Bob's used to be the biggest. Everybody's the biggest. The biggest is CarMax. They have a huge wholesale book that people don't realize. I bought, I don't know, I probably bought 50,000 cars from CarMax. What makes them the best? I mean, why do you, why do you say that? Because they're still a massive, massive corporation at the end of the day. Right. They they hire non-car people. They robot them. They don't pay much. And they, they have such a massive brand. They have the Amazon effect that in the trust. And they number their cars well. And they have their own book. They don't need MMR. They don't need anybody. They have so much transaction under their own belt. And they have their own auctions that they can set their own market based off of their results. And, and they're really good. You can, you can still pinch some money out of CarMax cars on the wholesale level. But really, if you go to CarMax and you want to go buy at their Laurel auction up in Maryland and you buy 12 cars, at the end of the whole shakeout, there's going to be a bunch of, it's going to be zero. When I have buyers that call me like, hey, I want to, I've got, you know, I got this great hole at CarMax and I've been buying there for years and I can do this now. I said, no, because that is a casino bet that you're going to walk out with zero. You'll make, 2,000 on one, you'll make 500, 500, 2,000, lose 2,000, lose 500, lose 500, and then you're going to lose 7,000 on one. So CarMax is like, great, y'all come make all the money you want. We love wholesalers. Please come play at our casino. And if you go in and buy one and leave with one, you might be okay. But when you start buying numbers out of CarMax, you think you made money, but you didn't. Did you ever consider going into retail? Mm -hmm. I've done it. I did it too much. I've never, I've never had a down year in the wholesale business where I lost money, and I damn sure did in the retail business. On a closing note, can you tell us where, for anyone that wants to learn more about you, give me the vein, where can they go? How can they get in contact with you? JohnClayWolf.com or JCWShow.com and hit email John, and those go directly to me.
Simple as pie. Simple as pie. And you can tune in the radio all over the country or the stream or the YouTube channel every Saturday morning, depending on what time zone you're on. We're on for six hours. And it's it's a rock and roll TNA funny slap, but there's some car in there too. And I've got a new venture called GMTV Garage where we're doing our video version that's more car centric because this car culture you know, the car culture, happy days, right? That was a big moment. And and you hear these baby boomers, there's car, 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 car. Our deal was car too, but but this this new youth, you know, the 18 to, to 35, this car culture has gotten weird again. I mean, they're deep. Look at these YouTube channels. Look at their subscribers that are car-centric. It is over the top. So I am, I've been hiding my car business from my entertainment business for the past 18 years. Besides bidding the cars on the radio brought to you by Give Me the Vent, because I didn't want to slow it down with too much car talk. So I'm I'm opening, I'm creating a new channel that is the car side of me that people really haven't seen. Yeah, you're leaning into it at a time where it's, you know, there's a ton of demand and people are super interested in it. Sure. I mean, we're doing it all day. You're just now, now you're just documenting it. Sure. All these characters are already in our world. All the transportation mistakes, the ice road truckers, the crazy auction stuff. It's all there every day. We just have to start putting it together. You know, there's one thing, in it, and th- this is real car, car dealerish. I always try to do this, and and I don't feel like I've ever gotten it across in a platform where people really understand what Bob Holland's head did for me. And he, he, he did a nice piece with him the other day. But Bob, I called Bob years ago cold to pitch him my radio show for trade-in marketplace and he was just in the process of selling it to auto trader and he said johnny love your show talented guy i know exactly who you are cox will never go for it you're too edgy on the radio you know they're too corporate but we became friends that day and that guy you know we just clicked we we just we just you know we think at the same pace and the same level and he 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 started if if he was my golf coach he started teaching me where to put my feet where to lean where to put my hands try this a little different i used to get off the auction block and i mean the first thing bob phone ring i'm talking back when i was running 150 cars a week you need to do this you need to do that you did this good you did that wrong and i would just write down notes write down notes and he's done this with a lot of people he did this with chad cunningham Back when they were working together at Wholesale Inc., but, but for some reason, it just really resonated with me. And, you know, you just meet these different mentors at different parts of your life. But that guy, he, he took time. He raised me. He finished me off. I was really good in the wholesale. I, I, was, one of, I was great at it from the beginning, but, but he, he finished me off and he taught me some methods that I was unaware of that made a lot of sense to me, but I didn't have the guts to try them. In the in the auction selling you know side of things, and I just like to thank him for that. It's a hell of a way to end. <laughs> I love it, John. Thank you so much for coming on. This was a blast. You know, wish you all the best. It seems like it's we're going into some rocky times, but it's definitely going to be interesting to see how these strikes and everything works its way out. So, and one other note, I definitely want to make a visit next time I'm in Texas to see the collection. So, oh, it's fun. I'm sitting on the radio show. We have comedians. We have entertainers. There's an experience out here that we've developed. It's fun as hell. So you guys come on out. All right. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Please give the podcast a rating. Consider subscribing to the show and check the show notes for links to what we talked about. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you guys next time.